started last week a new series, and uh, we're working our way through Romans chapter 12. And so if you want to turn there in your Bible and follow along, we'll be working through uh, this chapter through this month. The series is called Heal, and uh, we're really focusing in on what uh, the work that God wants to do in our lives as we follow Him. You know, we, um, uh, the entire world um, begins life um, trapped in and influenced by and controlled by uh, sin, the sinful world that we live in, and our propensity to do the opposite and to move away from God and do the opposite of what He wants us to do. And so this affects us. Sin causes damage. It hurts us. And so those hurts and wounds, um, uh, can, and they build up over time. And so um, for many people, it takes kind of a complete hitting bottom, right, before we stop and say, hey, God, I need some help. And we come to God for healing and for, um, for forgiveness. And that initial rush of forgiveness of sin um, is just a wave of healing over us. Uh, and, and so we can experience that. But, um, but as I've kind of encouraged you over the years that I've been here, that we can experience the forgiveness of God, which is a measure of healing uh, initially. But we need to walk into, over time, the real deep healing that God wants to bring into our lives. And as we go through life, even as we follow Jesus, we experience wounding as a result of sin. Sometimes it's our own uh, actions and behaviors towards others. Sometimes it's what's done to us. But focusing in on healing, I think, is really important for us. And uh, I know as adults, we get into the flow of life and we're cranking through and we're getting done what we need to get done. And um, we're not always cognizant or even take time <laughs> to acknowledge or, or, or realize how we might be uh, getting affected by the world we live in and the, the issues that we face and the hurts that come into our lives. And so uh, in this series, we just want to maybe stop a minute, lift up the hood, and do a little bit of um, diagnostic work on our lives and ask some of these questions and focus in on this passage of Scripture which digs in deeper to the transformation and the healing work that God wants to do in us. And so I hope this is encouraging to you. In and through this series, we're focused in also on a ministry that we have here at the church called Celebrate Recovery and encouragement uh, to consider getting involved in that. Um, it's not just an addiction program, though sometimes it gets called that, but it's not. It really is about helping us with hurts and hang-ups and habits and things that slow us down or can block uh, our ability to grow in Christ. Um, when I got to college, I uh, had been living my own life, following uh, my own desires, living according to my sin nature. And I got to college and I was challenged uh, within the first week to give my life to Jesus and to follow him all in. And really for the first time in my life, I made that decision. And what God began to do in me is to work through a process of healing and transformation. And there's some things I had to do. I recognized that there were individuals I had treated wrong. I had sinned against them. And the Holy Spirit just, um, there was just an, an urging in me that I needed to deal with those things. I needed to go to those people and ask for forgiveness at times. There were also other people that I just needed to forgive and move beyond what maybe they had done to me, a hurt that I had. And that, this happened over a process of probably five to ten years of just recognizing those things. Now, the truth is that just because I went through that period and process in my life didn't mean that 
I never got hurt again, right? No one ever wounded me again. No one ever sinned against me again. So we have to develop the capacity to walk in health and to deal with these things. But that's one of the things. Another thing I had to do was uh, I had to change some of the habits. In high school, I picked up a bad habit of chewing tobacco, right? And so I had to, I had to uh, God um, put it on my heart and, uh, and convicted me. I needed to move away from that. And I needed a little help. You know, I worked for a rancher uh, a couple summers in college, and, and uh, they chewed tobacco, right? He, he, would, he would stick a uh, chew in his lips so big after lunch, man, it was like, I don't know how he fit in there. But, uh, you know, um, uh, and so here, here I am, like, I'm kind of being tempted by watching. I'm like, man, I really like that, but I'm not doing it right. So uh, this is kind of the way God works uh, sometimes to encourage us in the right direction. But there was this old can of chew that sat on the windowsill for a long time. And I kept seeing it, and I was like, man, I really want to try that. I really want that. And so one day I grabbed it, right, put it in my pocket, drove home. And on the way home, I stuck uh, some of that in my lip. And you might know that it's possible that tobacco over time might get bad. And so along the road, I had to stop, open the door, and unload my stomach. (laughs) And that helped me. <laughs> I say, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but, but here's the thing. These things happen in us. This is part of the process of healing and health that God wants to take us through. Moving away from some things. And listen, God's going to convict you of the things you move, need to move away from. Uh, there's really in Scripture an indication that the Holy Spirit's going to work with you. And as you follow him to bring conviction into your life of the things you need to change and, and so I'm sharing with you things that, that happened for me. I had to change my friend circle. There were some buddies I had in, in high school that just were not going to go in the same direction I was headed, following Jesus. And I had to move to a new uh, a friend group, and I had to get people around me that were going to help influence me and encourage me in the right direction. I've shared with you guys a little bit that part of my story is that um, when I was in college, um, I had a buddy a really good friend who had lost his father when he was in high school. He died in a kind of a freak accident. And so one day I'm on the phone, and you know, as you do in, in the dorms, at least this is the way it happened for us, we talk to our parents sometimes. And so I'm talking to my dad one time, and uh, we get done with the call. I say, bye, Dad, see you later, hang up the phone. And my buddy's standing there, and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean what I'm doing? He's like, you didn't tell your dad that you love him before he hung up the phone. I'm like, well, we, we don't really express ourselves to each other that way. You know what I mean? Like, I know my dad loves me, and he knows I love him, and it just kind of goes unspoken. He's like, no, that's not all right. You got to tell him. And I didn't want to tell him. This is very uncomfortable, right? But he pushed. He leaned into me. And uh, eventually, I just, I did it. You know, it was, a, it was real uncomfortable. Hey, Dad, love you. Awkward pause. You know what he did? It took a little bit. But you know what, how thankful I am that we did that, that my friend pushed me in that direction and God prompted me into that. Because, yeah, my dad, I mean, we were hugging each other, you know, uh, by the, um, years later. So, listen, these are the things that God moves in us. And this is important for us to move into healing and to walk in health. And so, um, so important in this series that we, that we gain that. We acknowledge maybe there's an area that's unresolved. And I got to work on that, or I got to I got to press into it. And uh, the Holy Spirit's really going to help with that. And so we want to uh, lean into our relationship with God and allow Him to speak into our lives. I'm going to tell you that a lot of times I've heard people over the years say, 
I know God is telling me to do this because I felt a peace about it. And listen, I don't want to discount that. There's times that God is going to give you a peace to go in the right direction. But I'll be honest with you. There's a lot more times in my life where when the Holy Spirit's pushing me in direction, it's the last thing I want to do. And I feel so uncomfortable. I mean, squirming in my seat and going, oh, I don't want to do that. I mean, I just want to tell you, don't, don't look for just peace, right, as the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Conviction and, and sometimes the direction and things that God speaks into our lives, it's not comfortable. But it's so important that we, don't, that we step into it and we don't let that stop us. This uh, sermon today I'm calling Focus on Truth. And I think for us to heal, we've got to focus in on the truth that comes from God. In our world today, a lot of people talk about my truth and, you know, uh, and what's true for me. And truth seems subjective, right? It's up to everybody to decide what the truth is. And what that does is it destroys, it causes destruction in our lives. What we need is the objective, meaning it's, uh, you can't argue against it. It's not up to your opinion, right? The objective truth that comes from God. The Bible tells us that God is truth. He's not just the source of truth. He doesn't just speak truth at times, but he is truth. He defines it. And so knowing God and being connected to him and listening to his voice, which fortunately for us, we have the word of God, the scriptures we can go to and know that when we read them, we are hearing 100% truth. We've got to focus on that. And in Romans chapter 12, today we're working through verses 3 through 13. And there's three um, arenas in which I think we need to focus on truth. And the first one, which is so important, is we need to focus on the truth about ourselves. You need to focus on the truth about yourself. Follow along as I read Romans chapter, three verse, or Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me says the Apostle Paul, again, speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. There was an ancient... Greek, um, uh, an ancient Greek saying goes way back and used by many philosophers, which was know thyself. And here I think Paul, they, they uh, stumbled on um, something that we see in Scripture that's very important. And that is that we, we know, not just know thyself, but know the truth about yourself. Um, in order to do this, in order to see ourselves accurately, Humility is required. Humility is difficult. I've talked about the, the struggle with pride is that I can see pride in everyone but myself. <laughs> I can identify when someone else is acting out of pride. I see it just like that, no problem. I identify it quickly. But it's difficult to see in ourselves. Um, when we think, as we go through life, oftentimes we have a tendency to think of ourselves from the perspective of, um, uh, of a view that involves pride. We 
think of how we've been wronged. We think of how we've been mistreated. We think of how things have happened to us that are unfair and it's wrong. And, and we think that people don't see us for who we really are and the, what we could really do. And we just think if somebody would see who I really am and what I could do, if I just would, would get recognized, you know. And so all of these things, have a, they're, they're a, a focus on life that has to do with um, a pride in myself. And, and so it isn't that I can't see myself and, and see the affirming things about me. And that's important. I, uh, pride can cause me um, to see, think of myself more highly, but insecurity can make me think less of myself than I really should. And so both would be in error. The goal here from Scripture that Paul is saying is have an accurate view. Don't skew that view. Our two dysfunctions, insecurity and pride and, and ego and arrogance, both of those um, are, are false but our internal voice can speak into our lives in either one of those directions. And so we've got to be careful. The only answer to that that I know of is to focus in on what God says about us. Principle one in Celebrate Recovery goes this way. I realize I'm not God. One of my favorite sayings as I've gone through life is, there's this truth you need to recognize. There is a God and you're not him. I mean, that's important because we have a tendency to want to step into the position of God, the role of God, even in our own lives. So realize I'm not God. Number two, I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. In order to come to Christ for salvation, I've got to walk to him in this posture. I've got to be willing to say, I cannot stop sinning. I don't have the power to manage my life and to get out of the hole that I'm in. I can't stop. I need your help. I need your forgiveness and your grace and your power in my life. And this is how we come to God initially to experience his uh, forgiveness and his salvation. Matthew 5, 3, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, which the Celebrate Recovery is based on this. He says uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus taught this, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. Being spiritually poor means I'm spiritually needy and I need God in my life. As we work through this, this uh, passage, Paul talks about uh, viewing ourselves with sober judgment. And uh, we all know, and we've heard this idea that uh, drinking too much can um, give me beer goggles, right? And so I lose the ability to make accurate judgments on what's going on. Uh, all of a sudden my vision is skewed and I'm going to make uh, a poor decision, and so the, we know that phenomenon. And in this passage, what the apostle seems to be indicating is that we need to be careful of becoming egoholics. Right? That we, we, we work out of our ego so much that we think we can do things we can't. We think that we're pure in our motives when we're not. We're skewed in our view of ourselves. And Paul says that you've got to have an accurate view. Be careful. Be sober when you view yourself and as you evaluate your life. And so, so important that we don't allow pride, again, to skew our view, and it will. It's a battle to fight against that tendency. We can know it's there. We can know our own tendencies to work out of our pride, and yet we'll still find, at least I do, there's moments I respond, I react, I still am acting out of that pride, though I know how dangerous it is, and I know that I want it gone from my life. And so, um, it's a battle 
again, to be sober in our judgments of ourselves. J. Denny wrote this, To himself, every man is, in a sense, the most important person in the world. And it always needs much grace to see what other people are and to keep a sense of moral proportion. To view accurately myself and others, it requires I acknowledge what pride is and I work to see myself with sober judgment based on how God sees me. There's times that seeing myself accurately before God is going to cause me to recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm fallen and broken and I need God's grace. The only way I'm going to make it is if God forgives me and if he heals me. Then there's also times where seeing myself accurately is going to, I'm going to see myself as a, a child of the most high God, of the greatest value that God created us human beings at the, as the pinnacle of creation. And that he cares for us and loves us and thinks so highly of us that Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth to sacrifice himself to pay for your sin. And so we, we, to have a sober judgment, to see ourselves accurately, is going to require that we see ourselves through the truth of what God says about us. Pride, I think, is one of the most dangerous um, uh, threats, if you will, the most dangerous tendencies that the human race has to battle. I think pride gets us uh, more often than anything else. We know that pride affected um, the devil, who is Lucifer, who was an angel of light, who was um, one of the, um, a leader, right, in, amongst the angels, and yet pride is what affected him and caused his, his downfall. In Isaiah 14, we see uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking about Lucifer and his fall. Verses 12 through 14. How, uh, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above, the, above God's stars. I will preside on the mountains of the gods far away. In the north, I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Satan believed he could overthrow God. His pride made him believe that though he was created by God with all the attributes, all the power, everything he had, just like we are, that he could somehow become greater than the Creator who made him. This is the danger of pride. When we read the scriptures, and memorize them, I think, is one of the antidotes to, uh, to our tendency to fall prey to the sin of pride. Every once in a while, I'll give you guys a memory verse uh, and try to encourage you to memorize Scripture. I think it's a big answer to uh, us fighting and combating against the forces and the effects of sin. And so this week, i got a memory verse for you. It's relatively short. I know some people say, I struggle to memorize. To that I say, you memorize a lot, okay? You memorize songs, you memorize information, you can memorize, you can do it. Don't let yourself uh, take that I can't do it thing, you know, you can do it. But uh, here's a short one, and I'm going to read it in the NLT because that's the version I preach out of, but I'm going to quote it in the New King James because that's how I memorized it. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. The way I memorized it is, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself. In other words, we have a responsibility. We participate in the humbling of ourselves. 
I've talked to people before that have said, oh no, um, I don't have a pride issue. I've been humbled. I've been humbled. And uh, I don't do this very often, but this particular individual I know really well. I said, no, you've been humiliated. <laughs> being humiliated is not the same as being humbled and being humble. You can be humiliated and still be working out of your pride, right? And so uh, we've got to be careful with that. The definition and, and what happens in us, humbling, is to lower ourselves intentionally by choice and come under the authority of God and to come to him uh, with a contrite spirit, a spirit that says, hey, God, you're, you're God and I'm not, and you're in charge and I'm not, and I, I, I worship you and I respect you and I'll listen to you and I'll follow your direction in my life. So memorize James 4, verse 10 this week, and it'll help you in this regard to, to keep your eyes focused on Jesus and to humble yourself before God. Once you see yourself accurately, I think the next step that we see in this passage is that we want to focus on the truth about others. So important as we go through life to stay healthy and even to experience healing is that we see ourselves accurately and we see others from the truth of what God says about them. Romans 12, we continue reading in verse 4. Um, Paul's going to point to the significance that um, God places in others and the importance that they play, the role they play in our lives. So he goes on to say this, or just as each of us has one body with many members, so our bodies have many parts, right? And these members do not all have the same function. And we've talked about it before. Our, our, we have different hands. We have two hands, two feet, two ears. I mean, our body has uh, different parts and they have different functions they perform. Verse five, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In the first verse, chapter three, to, or verse three of 12, chapter twelve, to see ourselves, uh, to focus on the truth about ourselves, it requires faith. The more faith that you have that what God says about you is true, then you're the more you're going to see yourself accurately. You're going to be able to focus on the truth. So your faith is going to determine how much and how well you see yourself from the truth of what God says. In other words, if you believe what God says, the more you believe what he says, then the more you're going to uh, embrace what God says about you, and you're going to see yourself accurately. In this verse, there's an indication that we need to see each others through the grace that God's given them. Grace is getting something we don't deserve, right? <clears throat> and so what God does in his benevolence, in his goodness, is that when we come to him, with nothing, and we, we need everything from him, and we come and put our trust in him, in Jesus, the Son of God, who has died on the cross to pay for our sins, and we come to him and say, I'm putting my faith and trust in you. I need your forgiveness. And we invite God into our lives. What he does is something amazing. He says, you're going to be a part of my church. You're going to be a part of my group of people that's on mission to change the world. And I'm going to give you some grace. I'm going to give you a grace. And in this passage, that grace is a gift. 
It's something that you can now contribute to this group of people that you're involved in. You're not coming with nothing. God says, I'm going to give you something to bring with. And you're going to be able to contribute. And you're going to need to use this gift in order for this group of people to be healthy and to accomplish the mission. I just think it's so amazing how God works with us and how he uh, involves us and how he works to see us be able to accomplish and do what we need to do uh, to, to be a part of things and to feel like we're a part of things. And so involvement is important for belonging. And if I'm going to feel like I belong to a group, I need to be involved and contributing. And so God, knowing that, because he made us this way, he gives us a grace. And, and Paul, in this passage, talks about a few of those gifts. And, and uh, you know, he goes through a short list. There's a more comprehensive list in other places. And yet he says, here's the thing. If, these, if this is your gift that God's given you, if it's showing mercy, some of us are not real good at showing mercy, right? We've got to fight to show mercy. Somebody wrongs us and we want to get out the battle axe, right? I know not you. Maybe your person sitting next to you acts that way. But sometimes we want to do that. <clears throat> but some of us, it's just like we're able to show mercy almost effortlessly. And that's, I think, that's an indication of a spiritual gifting that God's given you. Well, guess what? I need to be around and see those of you that are gifted in showing mercy because it's going to help encourage me in that direction, right? But he says, if your gift is showing mercy, then, then show mercy and, and do it without, um, without measure. Do it, uh, be off the chain with showing mercy. It's important for the church. If your uh, gift is encouragement, then, then encourage people. I, I don't know, but there's, there's some gifts that I notice a little bit easier and, and I just enjoy watching people live them out. And encouragers uh, just put a smile on my face. And there's people who are just so good. And we have a lot of them in our church that just are so good at encouraging. And they just encourage, encourage, encourage. And I, I just, it's fun to watch those people live out their gifting. But, but the, the, the key here is that to see others accurately, I need to see them through the lens of that grace and that gifting that God's given them. And what that's going to do is it's going to help me walk in health in relation to other people. Because you may have noticed this, but the church is not filled with people that are all uh, living sinless perfection, right? Uh, not doing any damage and not struggling with sin. It just isn't the case. So we are going to hurt each other. And there's times that, that we're going to do damage. And so it's important that we see the value in each other. That is going to help us deal with those times in the right way. It's going to help me forgive when you do something that hurts me. Because I know that God sees value in you and he's given you a grace and a gift to participate in this church. So I need you here. We create an environment of freedom in church when we acknowledge those gifts and we encourage people to use them. Some of these gifts don't require a position, right? You don't have to have a position to show mercy and to use the gift of mercy. You don't have to have a position to encourage. And so um, sometimes we're waiting for a position to be empowered, but the truth is that God is empowering you to use your gift and to, um, and to represent him and to build up the church. And you don't need an okay from the pastor to uh, use your gift and to live it out in the church. 
And so that's the good news um, about the way God has designed the church. One of the things that's really important is that as we interact with ministry and as we serve God, it's important that we do it with the right heart and the right spirit and from the right place. And I love 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, because it qualifies how we are to do ministry. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I, am, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And I know we have drummers that love cymbal sounds, okay. And we had a, we had, um, what's this called? Steel drum. Okay, so, but in this context, these are not good sounds, okay. Okay, um, clanging cymbal is offensive. <laughs> and he's saying you can, you can have the gift of tongues and speak in the tongue of angels. But if you don't have love, you're just an offensive noise. Though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith and I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Nothing means I stand before God and say, I did all these great things for you. God was serving. I, oh man, I gave all this stuff away. And, and, and honestly, on your ledger before God, those things are a zero if love was not the spirit through which you did it, if that wasn't your motivation. And that's hard for us. But seeing the value in others and acknowledging it, knowing that God has placed others here Though at times we're irritated and, they, and they're going to struggle with sin patterns and they're not going to live perfectly, but we've got to see them the way God does. Value in others is important. Do you see others through the prism of God's word? Do you recognize the value that God places on others? We've got to see the truth and we've got to focus on that. Not on their sin and not on the things that irritate us. Focus in on the truth about who they are in Christ. The truth is that God values every human being that he's ever created so highly that Jesus' death was to pay for their sin. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Jesus paid the sin, he paid for the sin of every human being. And our theology affects how we see others. And it's important we understand the truth about the atonement and that God uh, paid for the sin of the world because he values every human being. Sometimes we miss the value in things if we don't understand what they are. There was a book collector that really uh, appreciated books, and it was a great historian. He knew a lot about books, and he had a great collection of old books. And he had a friend uh, who he was speaking with one day who had just thrown away a Bible that was in his family for generations, an ancestral home for generations. And the man said, you know, it just was no good. It was falling apart, and uh, I couldn't read it anyway. The friend said, somebody named Guten something had printed it. The guy goes, whoa, that's a Gutenberg Bible. Like, those are extremely rare. One just sold for $2 million. 
And the guy's like, oh no, you don't understand. Some guy named Martin Luther had written all over it in German and just messed it up. <laughs> hey, listen, if we don't see things for what they are, if we don't understand what they are, well, they can be discarded. Too often we throw away people because we don't recognize who they are before God. Lastly, focus on the truth about good and evil. Romans chapter 12, the last few verses, 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Love must be sincere and sincerely hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I wonder, because I wrestle with this at times, we live in a sinful world, we're exposed to evil all the time. And I wonder if, like me at times, I find myself not being as offended by evil as I should be. I kind of accept the fact that it exists, and, and even at times I feel a little drawn into it. And this is a danger. In this passage, Paul's teaching the church to hate what is evil. Maintain your disdain for what is wrong. Now, we live in a world full of sinful people, and we want to engage and love them and be around them. And so we can't be so offended by sin that we can't be around sinful people, right? And we're sinful people. So, but, but the point is, do I hate what is evil? Have I maintained that sense of right and wrong? in my heart and mind? Or have I started to accept what's out there? When I was in high school, I moved to Augusta, Montana my senior year. And it was a smaller school and uh, everyone played sports. And though I had not played football before, I was uh, 6'4", 180 pounds, and uh, I was recruited immediately to be on the football team. I got placed on, on the line. You know, I was a, a guard, right guard, I think, and nose tackle on defense. I knew nothing about these things, but I was a, a, a Fairly big body, put you in there. And so, um, and so I played uh, this, you know, it was fun. And so uh, one of the things we did is we, you know, of course traveled. And in Montana, we had travel a ways to get to some of the towns, uh, the teams we played. And, uh, and so we listened to music on the bus. And that particular year, 1987-88, the album that the football team listened to nearly every away game was uh, a new album out by... I think it's a British band called Def Leppard. And the album was Hysteria. And it was cool. I mean, young man, we love this. And there's a reason it was cool. I mean, it was, it was sexually seductive, all right? The, the music was, just, it just was. And it felt good to listen to. And I could feel that spirit in the music. And I didn't fight it. I listened to it. I went with it, right? But I can tell you when I got to college and I got right with God, that had to go. I mean, do we have a sensitivity to what's right and wrong? Do we, are we repulsed by what is evil? Can we recognize it or have we begun to accept it? When I was in high school too, I remember watching a movie with some buddies and then watching that same movie with my dad. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that. I didn't notice some of the things in that movie when I was watching it with my buddies, but all of a sudden my dad's sitting there. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that was in that movie. I don't remember that. Um, I encouraged one a gentleman that came to Christ uh, that I got to, the privilege of leading to Christ in Denver, that God is with you at all times. 
And he was a single man. I said, you know, even when you're dating, right, and you're hanging out, I mean, God's with you as you do what you do. And that made him a little nervous and a little uncomfortable. But, hey, maybe we should feel that way at times. God is with us, and he cares about how we live, what we do. Do we have a hatred for evil? Are we repulsed by it internally, and do we love what is good? Be enthusiastic about serving God. Next, he talks about that zeal and enthusiasm that we are responsible to maintain in our own lives, and that zeal is towards service. Now, certainly, I know that we can be overzealous, right? You've heard that. Uh, my first youth group, I was volunteering at a church in Little Sargent, Nebraska, and I took the youth to Omaha, and we had a, a gentleman who was an evangelist teach us how to go door-to-door, and we went into North Omaha, which is kind of the ghetto, and we're going door-to-door uh, on a 100-degree, you know, July day, super hot, and, and so we sent everybody out, and we got different groups, and, and I remember after the day, we kind of came back and debriefed, and Bobby Joe, who was like one of my uh, leaders, um, and she was not big, but she was kind of strong, and uh, she was, you know, how to go to the day, and she said, well, I went to one house, I knocked on the door, and a woman came, and she opened up the inside door, but didn't open the screen door, and she said, what do you want, and, and Bobby said, I kind of used our, you know, our entry line, wanted to talk to her about spiritual things, and she said, it's just too hot, it's too hot to open the door, go away, I'm not going to do that, and Bobby Joe, I said to her, uh, Bobby Joe said, you know, ma'am, if you think it's hot out here today, <laughs> And I mean, listen, the, the fires of hell are a lot harder, right? She went there with, and I go, hey, Bobby Joe, I love you on one hand. Maybe a little overzealous, right? But uh, we can be overzealous, but we're to maintain zeal for serving God. It's easy to lose our enthusiasm, to just stop wanting to do it, wanting to serve, wanting to get involved. I know how hard that's going to be. It's going to take time out of my schedule. I'm going to get irritated. I'm going to have to deal with people. We can lose our zeal. Paul says, maintain your zeal for serving. One of the amazing things is when we talk about healing and health, even the pagan world recognizes the power in serving others. It brings healing into our lives. God designed us to serve. He gave us a gift, a a bit of his grace, so that we have something to serve with. And it's so important for our own health that we continue to serve God has created us and wants us to be healthy, and he wants to move us towards healing. And I know um, it's difficult, and there's issues that are hard and uncomfortable to press into, but I just want to encourage you and kind of implore you that it matters a great deal. It matters for your marriage. It matters for your children, your grandchildren, the people around you, the world we live in. We live in a difficult time. There's a lot of intense pressure on the whole world. Um, many have said that we're in an epidemic of these anxiety and depression and fear-based emotional and mental struggles. And, uh, and so we live in a time where we want to be representatives of Jesus and we want to be able to help people and encourage them in a difficult time. And yet we can't do that very well if we're not walking in health ourselves. And so we first got to press in and allow God to do the work in our lives that will bring us to that place of healing where we can help the world around us. I encourage you to continue to press in that direction. I'm going to have Pastor Luke come up and and just share some closing thoughts. Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the, the grace, the
the mercy, the forgiveness that you offer us so freely. Uh, the scriptures tell us that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to continue to engage you, to press into those areas that are uncomfortable, where we're a little ouchy. We have some uh, wounds there. And to allow your spirit to uh, fill in those places, to put the salve um, of your mercy and grace on us and heal us. We really want to help the people around us. And so, God, thank you for your goodness and grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Something that we've been wanting to do to wrap up our services is to provide an opportunity to respond. And so if the elders or some of the prayer team would be willing to come up um, for a time of response. But when we look at the hurts, habits, hangups that John is talking about, when we hide these things, it really chokes out the ability in our life to see truth and the ability in our life um, to find healing. I want to read one scripture um, to close us out in Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn there if you want. Um, but it's in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. Um, and this scripture is about the importance of exposing the things in our lives that have hurt us, exposing the things in our lives that are choking out the truth that John talked about. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And there's four areas that I just want to highlight quickly that I've seen over and over and over be hidden within the church, whether it's men or females. And there was a time in our church where I would say about 80% of people came out with these four things over um, a span of about two or three months. But number one is pornography addiction, that pornography addiction is rampant um, in the church and it's choking out marriages, it's choking out spirituals, or spiritual insight into people's relationship with God and ultimately brings blindness into our spiritual walk. And so if you're a man who's struggling with that or a woman who's struggling with that, um, we're not going to condemn you, we're not going to throw you out, but, but that's not something that you can leave hidden. And if you don't expose that in one of these different avenues, it will continue to plague your life and bring death. Number two is abortions, that um, women who have, have had an abortion, especially that are attending church, maybe they had an abortion before they were saved. Um, I've met a vast um, amount of women who were struggling with that and, and had so much guilt and had so much shame and had no avenue to explain or to express what was going on in their life. And so whether it's discipleship, whether it's celebrate recovery, if you're a woman who's been experiencing those things, um, we really encourage you um, to be able to expose that, find the healing and forgiveness that's in Christ. The last two are um, sexual abuse and depression and anxiety. That the, These four things that over and over, um, they bring darkness into our life. They bring um, depression. They bring anger. They bring bitterness. But there's an opportunity to receive forgiveness. And that's ultimately why we're providing these things. No one up here who's willing to pray with you or celebrate recovery or discipleship, nobody has all your answers. And nobody's going to be able to fix those specific problems in your life. But God responds to faith. And if you're familiar with the Bible story where um, Moses, 
uh, makes a bronze serpent, right? And he holds it up in the wilderness, and there are snakes around, these fiery serpents that are, that are plaguing Israel. The bronze serpent had no power to save, but it was the faith in what God's word said that brought salvation and freedom to the people who looked at the bronze serpent. In the same way, when we have faith to get into community and expose the things that are plaguing us, it's that act of faith and humility that ultimately brings us healing. So I just want to pray for us and invite the the prayer team, the elders up, for an opportunity um, to pray with you this morning if you wish to respond, as well as the worship team um, can make their way up to the front. But Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for the power under the truth has, God, as Pastor John has preached this morning. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here, Father, who has hidden um, past traumas, has hidden the things that have plagued them, Lord, and has felt like if they express those, if they confess those, that they would be judged or condemned in the church, Lord. I just pray that you would touch their heart, Father. They don't have to walk alone, and they don't have to carry this burden alone, God. And I've seen you heal Um, people who have gone through all these things. Father, the power of the gospel is greater than the condemnation of sin. Father, so I just pray that you lead us into freedom, Lord, that you lead us into hope, and that you lead our church into a season of healing in the name of Christ. We ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.